This morning's Bible reading is from Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 to 6, and then we'll go to chapter 4. Philippians 1, verses 3 to 6. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And now chapter 4, verse 10 to 20. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know... In the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks, my good wife. A good example in uh, Philippians 4 there of the investment that the church made in Paul's ministry for the gospel, which we'll be thinking about a little bit. I actually want to start this morning with a quote uh, from this book, which is called Gospel Patrons. Uh, It's a book that I'm going to refer to a little bit as we go. This morning, uh, a book which is about a few generous people in history who advanced the spread of the gospel through what means they could. And uh, this quote is, I guess, the author's dream for generosity and for the gospel and his reason for writing. He says, I dream of seeing churches overflow with crowds of people who are hungry to learn the Bible. I envision businessmen strategizing together about how to advance the gospel because their greatest passion is Jesus. I imagine college students gathering to talk about our great salvation and how they can spend their lives extending it to others. I picture Christians being marked by radical generosity and risk-taking action to see more lives changed, more souls saved and more people sent around the world to reach the unreached. I envision more preachers proclaiming the the great doctrines of the Bible with unstoppable courage while God draws many to the Saviour. 
I dream of thousands of people discovering their calling in God's eternal kingdom and then running hard to play their part well. How would our world be different if we lived like the real business of life was to love God and help as many people as possible learn to love Him too? Sounds a bit like our vision, doesn't it? What if we recaptured a sense of urgency to live for eternity? That's a dream for revival, isn't it? A dream for more reformation, a dream for more awakening, as we've seen in history, a dream for more partners in the gospel, as we read about in in Philippians 1. Do you share that dream, I wonder? That dream of growth and passion and souls saved. Now before we jump into the whole partnership or or patronage thing this morning, I want us to start a little bit broader and consider the many, many needs and opportunities that we have for generosity. As we think about that last question, where can I give? Uh, There's a Venn diagram up on the screen, and who doesn't love a Venn diagram? Uh, There it is. It's a little bit oversimplified, but hopefully it's still helpful. Uh, There's the cause of the gospel on the left, uh, the good news of Jesus. And by the way, if you're new to it, let me just tell you what that is. It's that the God who made us sends his own son into our messy, broken world in order to teach us and to serve us and ultimately to die for us. Because we are all broken and sinful people, rebels from God, but Jesus takes our punishment upon himself. He dies our death so that we can have new life and purpose and the hope of eternity, that like him, we can be resurrected. And so the cause of the gospel is simply the salvation of souls. But on the other side, there are the many, many, many humanitarian needs and causes out there, caring for the poor, for the oppressed, for the sick, the incarcerated, And many others as well. And that's what I want to start with this morning. Thinking about the unlimited needs in our world. Which of course makes generosity about unlimited giving. That there is no end to the needs of people far and wide in our world. And so there's no end to the ways that we can give. And when the church teaches on giving and generosity. It's never just about tithes. And offerings, and, and, and it's never just about the church budget. It's about hearts that are generous. It's about a people that are encouraging each other in generosity. It's about a lifestyle of giving. It's about the willingness and the sacrifice that we talked about two weeks ago. It is ultimately about love. As Jesus says in his story about the sheep and the goats, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Jesus places a very high importance on caring for the practical needs of other image bearers. 
for putting our faith into action and living what we say we believe. As we talked about last Christmas, that the good news and good deeds, they cannot be separated. We have to be about good deeds. Love for Jesus ought to ignite in us a love for others. And love for others ought to inflame in us a generosity to give. And so we give to people however and whenever and wherever we possibly can. We should be leading the charge in this. We should be setting the example. We should be models of radical generosity in our world. So what needs can you start giving to today? Uh, The women who seek help through Pregnancy Problem House are a great example. Uh, We had a collection, I think, on Mother's Day, but you're still able to give to that campaign at this time. Can you help them or others with other needs for that matter? And it's not just money, remember. We talked about this. It's time, it's energy as well. It's investing in bigger ways. Perhaps your home, perhaps your family, perhaps your season of life. Whatever it is that you have or do, how can you use that generously? How can you give to those who are struggling or burdened? And if the opportunities are overwhelming, which I think they are, (laughs) there's no end to the opportunities, then it's worth considering the overlap in that Venn diagram, which is where the humanitarian and gospel giving overlaps. And as a church, we particularly seek to partner with organizations who care for people and do that practically, but who care for people with the love of Jesus, uh, who have a heart for the gospel, people who drive the Christian worldview and who can make a spiritual impact as well as helping financially or physically or emotionally. And so other examples, as well as uh, places like Pregnancy Problem House, could be something like Compassion, which many of you uh, sponsor a child through. And they seek to reach poor families in poor communities, but of course they do that with the help of the local church in those places, and they, they do that in order to share the good news of Jesus. Or another example, International Justice Mission, who seek to rescue slaves and prosecute oppressors, but who also work hard to restore victims to a full life and, of course, to the hope that is in Jesus. But again, often we think of those things and we think of money. What about giving time to a mission trip where both deeds and news are in such high demand? Or why, as a church, can we not further consider starting some English classes, for example, where we both help people, migrants, to learn English and to learn Jesus as well? Or perhaps there's other ideas that you can think of and share with us. See, the need for salvation isn't separated from other practical needs, ever. For every single person, eternity can and should start this very day. We believe that for ourselves. Of course we believe that for others. And then the body and the soul must always be served together because that is how God made people as a single unit in His image. The Old Testament is full of of commands, especially through the prophets, 
for mercy, for justice, caring for the marginalized. Over and over they say, this is what you've got to do. And we'll talk about that more in coming weeks as we return to the minor prophets. But so often that's what was traded in for surface religion, for tradition, for ticking the boxes. And there was no love. And when Jesus came, as he says, he didn't come to abolish that law, did he? He came to fulfill it. He came to complete it and to restore it, to redeem it. And so as he says, he came to proclaim good news to the poor and freedom to the captives and the year of the Lord's favour for all those who are struggling. And this is the ministry that we are called to in his name. Freedom and restoration for people who are oppressed by others or by circumstances or by life itself. Freedom and restoration in the form of, what does it say there? The form of good news. The good news of Jesus. And that's what I want to zoom in on now. The specific cause of, of the gospel. Freedom, particularly from slavery to sin and the salvation of eternal souls, which is the cause above, really, and in many ways below all other causes. I mentioned this book at, uh, at the beginning and I wanted to emphasize the concept of this book a little further now. And by the way, uh, I have this book available to lend if you'd like. Uh, I've got another copy on the way, which you can borrow, or maybe even keep. Uh, the rule when you keep a book is that you then come up here and share uh, how it helped you and how it was good. Uh, so, free book, it's worth it. Um, but that's on the way, so please see me if you'd like to. It's, it's a simple book, it's very short, it's very encouraging, and it, it complements well with the generosity project as we've been looking at it. The idea of patronage is, is not really a common concept uh, these days. It was really from a time, I guess, when artists or performers you know, were supported by a wealthy patron or benefactor uh, who basically made their career possible. Uh, nowadays, we're, we're much more used to the word sponsor, aren't we? Like if a company uh, throws money at a sporting event or at a sporting club or, or a producer perhaps throws money at a movie or a TV show. And there are similarities in, in that word. Um, usually they invest in other ways too. But I've always felt that the term sponsorship misses the point. Even when we sponsor a child, it can be a, a quite a disconnected and sort of financial transaction, can't it? But partnership, on the other hand, comes so much closer to the idea of patronage. That true patrons don't just throw money at someone or something, that they partner with them. They invest themselves. They own the cause here. And when it comes to the gospel, that's really the only way that it should be. This full investment, this full ownership, this full partnership. That's the word that Paul uses back in Philippians 1. It's that we are partners in the gospel. We're not attenders, we're not just sort of people who, you know, help. 
We're partners. We're not just associates, we're partners. Every Christian, every learner of Jesus is called to be a partner in the gospel. Not just giving money, but investing themselves in the great cause of saving lives. Listen to what Paul says about three of his patrons in Romans 16. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Cancrea. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you for she's been the benefactor, the patron of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, uh, my co-workers, that is my partners in Christ Jesus. They risk their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. So this Phoebe gave financially to Paul's ministry. But she was also considered a deacon, one who was caring practically for people. And even putting herself in in times of need for the sake of the gospel. Priscilla and Aquila also supported Paul's work and even risked their lives for him. They were all in on the mission. But let's not forget that Paul is only Paul because of the example of Jesus. And have you ever wondered how it is that Jesus and his disciples could literally wander around jobless for almost three years serving and teaching and helping people? Uh, Let's have a look at Luke chapter 8. It says, After this, Jesus travelled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. These women were providing for Jesus' ministry. They were patrons of the gospel, making it possible for Jesus to be able to focus completely on the deepest need of others, which was their salvation, which was proclaiming the kingdom of God. And it's likely that God used them in so many ways. They didn't just throw money at the cause, they actually threw themselves at the cause. They they journeyed with Jesus. They dropped homes and, and went, we're coming with you. And it's quite likely they were helping in so many practical ways. They were invested. In this book, John Reinhardt, he's the author, he gives three other examples of people in church history. Uh, people behind William Tyndale, George Whitfield, and John Newton in their different gospel ministries. And how they offered support that was inspired by an equal passion for the gospel and a love for the lost. Their gifts and situations in life were different to the men that they supported. But they used what they had for the cause. And it's not just for rich people. Not at all. The parable of the talents reminds us that we can all invest in the gospel, whether we have ten or five or one, and you can put anything after that, ten hours or five hours or one, ten thousand dollars or five thousand or one. 
10 kids or five or one. The greatest tragedy is when we bury what we have and cling to it and hoard it and save it and keep it instead of being open-handed and generous with it. That's what that parable says. Just think what it can do for the gospel if we put it to work. God's power can do anything with it, no matter how big or small. Just think. Lives could be saved. A revival could be started. And again, it's not just money. In fact, what these stories often show is that if we invest money or time or energy because the gospel really inflames our hearts, then what will happen is that the rest of us will follow. We'll be all in. And instead of scrolling through stock investments and interest rates, we'll be checking in with gospel workers and we'll be sending encouragement to people. We'll be helping with that task. That's what it means to be partners and patrons and participants in the gospel. And this is what we as members and attenders here at Willow are. We are patrons of the gospel. That's what our giving and our serving and our participation, that's what it's all about. Take our afternoon service as an example. We're not just saying, hey, can you come and attend another gathering, please? if you feel like it, if you'd like to get something out of it. We're asking you to invest in it. To give your time and to encourage the proclamation of the gospel, maybe to those who have never heard it before. To give of your relational energy and so perhaps meet with some new people and affirm that good news. To give of your work context or your home context or your kids' sports or whatever it might be, in order to build relationships so you can invite people along. To give of your cooking skills if your group is on and love people with hospitality because it is impacting. And to pray. No one really should be at the top of the list, shouldn't it? To pray. How many of us are praying for those services, for these services? I ask myself the same question. People might be saved through the things that we do. Are we praying for that? And what about Christianity Explored? How can you be a patron and a partner? Not just observe. Perhaps you can contribute to the suppers. Maybe you shout a meal for the group when they do a meal night. And pray. Pray hard. New birth and new life is possible here, so it's only by God's work we've got to pray. Are we partnering in prayer? If I can just share personally for a second, I'm so thankful for the patronage and partnership that I've had from all of you in gospel gospel ministry, in ministry growth, even personally. And I hope and pray that your investment over the last 10 years can abound in the future, whether I'm here or somewhere else, and whatever happens, that that grows, and that, by God's grace, 
for the sake of the kingdom. And I hope and I pray that you here at Willow can be patrons and partners with more and more gospel workers in the future as you have been in the past. Some of you have invested in particular people at particular times for particular purposes. Maybe those who are going to train for some form of ministry. And it is fantastic. Always so encouraged to hear that. And I want to encourage all of you to think about such possibilities. Because the reality is the more specific you, uh, you support someone or something, the more specific that is, the more you invest yourself, the more you're all in. And there are many gospel workers, even here at Willow, who could be enabled by your generosity. They might only be five years old right now. They might be 50. They might be somewhere in the middle. But we can all be patrons. The situation in our denomination is really challenging at the moment. There are nowhere near enough people training in ministry for all the churches that we have. But on the other hand, the outlook for the gospel is incredible. If we and other believers are willing to invest and own it and be generous. I just want to finish on one of the examples from this book. A story about an 18th century English aristocrat named Lady Huntingdon. Uh, she's up on the screen there. Uh, she was a wealthy, wealthy woman, but she suffered significant loss in her life. Uh, her husband died when she was 39. Uh, she'd lost three children before that and two more children after that. Uh, so five of her seven children died before she did. But she was an increasingly generous woman and she had a passionate love for the gospel. She invested herself in its ministry completely. I think uh, the stats are she potentially gave upwards of £100,000 in the 1700s, huge amounts of money. And she invested especially in the preaching of uh, George Whitfield, who was a man on fire for Jesus and for the salvation of others. Whitfield was travelling around England and America preaching to thousands of people every day. Uh, and his heart burned with the need to advance the gospel, as did that of his patron. Lady Huntington was particularly keen for him to preach to her aristocratic peers. Uh, not just the poor, but these others who uh, would often have this surface religion, a hypocrisy that was common in the upper class. And she wanted him to challenge that. And she would host large dinner parties and invite him to come and preach to them. I mean, how many of us would do that? It's like, oh, that's awkward. She spent large amounts of money building chapels for gospel preachers and for societies of people to meet and grow. And when she was asked about why she did that instead of giving to the poor, she answered this way. She said, I do pity the poor and I will give them what I can. But when I gave myself up to the Lord, I likewise devoted all my fortune to him with this condition that I would take with a sparing hand what might be necessary for my food, clothing and support of my children. Many benevolent persons who have no religion feel for the physical needs of others and help them. 
but few, even among professing Christians, have a proper concern for the awful condition of perishing souls. And I wonder if that last line is true. Is it true of you? Because it's true of me. I don't have a proper concern, even as a professing Christian, for the awful condition of perishing souls. So what can we do to generously throw ourselves into the cause of the gospel here at Willow and beyond? And how much can we pray for souls saved and for a gospel revival in our city, in our country, and in our world. Let's do that now, shall we? We'll pray. Father God, we ask that you would work in our hearts to see the need around us. The many, many physical, financial and emotional needs, but also the deeper spiritual need of people who have no hope. And we want to ask that you give us a proper concern for that awful condition. That we would see the dire need for the saving of lives. And that we would see the power that the gospel has to do exactly that. Lord, that we would pray and pray hard for people to be saved for a revival in our world and that we would give whatever we can, money, time, energy, ourselves, whatever we have, whatever we do, that we would give it generously for this greatest of causes. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.